And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me, as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Abracadabra. I'm the magic man. No? Like, like no Talladega Nights? Talladega Nights? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was thinking of, like, heart. I'm a oh. magic man. Yeah, no, I was thinking of the so magic you man. you sing all the time. Now you see me? Now you don't. I like to party. <laughs> you know, I don't really like that movie. That's so funny. Talladega I think it'd be right Nights up your alley. I know. It's a, it's a precursor to Step Brothers. It's, it's got the John a, C. Riley there. I know, I know. It's just a little too much. I, I There's some lines that I really like, like... Won the Academy Award <laughs> for best, best movie, movie ever, ever made. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like that stuff, but for the most part, it's pretty, pretty silly. <laughs> He's like, just say you like crepes. <laughs> it's like, I don't like <laughs> yeah. those. He's like, pretty damn good. <laughs> Did you yeah. see that he's playing Jerry Buss in the new uh, TV miniseries on HBO, Winning Time? It's about yeah. uh, the Lakers. I think that's going to be so cool. And I think there was a, like, that was one of the feuds between, like, Will Ferrell and, who is it? Is it, like, Jody Hill? Is that who did it? The, win for that documentary? Yeah. Oh, or not documentary, that show? Um, yeah. I don't know. I think actually. Will Ferrell was originally going to play it, and then John C. Riley's doing it instead. I think cool. I read somewhere that that was part of a feud. I don't know. Oh. I, I barely, I was barely paying attention, but I saw words on my screen, but I wasn't in the mood to read it. I don't I even know like, what huh. you just said right now. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in other words, the 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 producer that Will Ferrell's always working with was under the impression that he, Will Ferrell was going to be doing the role. But then the producer changed his mind and had John C. Riley do the role instead. And so that's what caused a rift between Will Ferrell and the producer. Yikes. Yeah. We don't like rifts around here. Yeah, but I, I don't remember. I, I could be mistaken. Uh, so what's new? What have you been watching? Not much, just, uh, well, actually, I've been watching a decent amount of stuff. I watched a couple horror films, Hush and Sinister. Hush is made by your buddy there, Mike Flanagan, and it was a pretty low-budget film, but it was okay. Um, I think there were other people I know that really enjoyed it. Sinister is just is really good. It's been a while since I've seen it and scared the shit out of me. I jumped on the Ozark bandwagon, so I started watching Ozark Season 1 and 2. I blazed through those and absolutely love it. I'm very excited. I knew it was going to be good. Everyone told me I needed to watch it. So I'm glad I finally did. And then I also binged uh, Reacher on Amazon Prime. And that was good as well. That was good. It was just nice to put on while I was working. I would take breaks every once in a while to watch it. And I liked it. I watched Injustice on HBO, the animated movie. Very dark. Lots of death. Lots of death and mayhem and destruction. And then I watched Nightmare Alley, the new Guillermo del Toro film on HBO Max. Uh, it's currently on HBO Max and, and Hulu, if you want. It's a long one. It's a doozy. It's about two and a half hours. And it's not as creature driven as some of del Toro's films, but it is very good. I enjoyed it a lot. I don't know if, who I can recommend it to. Um, I know, Justin, you said you were bored with it, so you turned it off. But uh, I... I want to recommend it to anybody who's willing to watch a two and a half hour movie. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah. 
I tried it. I got like 40 minutes into it, and I just couldn't do it anymore. I might not have been in the right mood. Adam yeah, McKay sure. is who I was thinking of. Oh, yeah. I know Adam McKay. Okay, sweet. Yeah, so he is the one that had a falling out with um, with Will Ferrell. Damn, they were working on everything together. They were producers on a lot of stuff. Oh, I know. So he was the one that's also producing uh, this show that you were talking about, uh, yeah. Winning Time, The Rise of Lakers Dynasty. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I wanted to like Nightmare Alley. I just... Ah, this is hard. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Del Toro always has this awesome spin. I mean, the guy just knows how to compose a damn scene. He is he's excellent at that and just spectacles to look at. But there's also a thing. I don't know if you notice on some of the HBO Max shows, but the production quality seems so much better for every single show. Even Peacemaker looks really good to watch compared to Netflix or or Hulu or Amazon Prime. And I read an interesting article about why that could be. It's because Warner Brothers has their own stages and owns them as opposed to Netflix or Amazon having studios. And so they are able to drive down a lot of costs because they already own, you know, the stages, props, all these different things. And so it uh, it's easier to 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 produce something bigger budget. They can also draw bigger name talent because HBO dominates at the Emmys. And so it's like, do you? Do you want to win an Emmy for this? Well, then come to HBO as opposed to Netflix, who pumps out things left and right. I'm not saying Netflix, Amazon, or Hulu are bad by any stretch, but yeah, it's it's it is really interesting. I've noticed it for all the HBO shows that I've been watching or movies; they are just filmed beautifully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, high production value. I mean, HBO's been that way forever. Like, yeah, I mean, I think the one of the first original programming shows that I ever got into is probably Sopranos. Uh, but I mean, that was 20 years ago, right? So I mean, over 20 years ago now, and it's just crazy that that um, it's just been building and building and building. But even when I watched like uh, Watchmen recently or uh, Lovecraft Theory, all that stuff, like it just just keeps getting like better and better. I was trying to think, uh, you know, what was I watching? You know, in the in the teens, and it was just Game of Thrones. That's like the only show yeah. I watched on HBO. Seriously, <laughs> it's so crazy. It's just that was their big one. I'm sure they had other shows, but I just wasn't really tuned into them. And they talked about that, how even, you know, like on Game of Thrones, it's this crazy epic. But even season one, when it wasn't no one really knew about it, you know, they the costumes that they had looked way more authentic. It seemed like a more immersive world as opposed to what these and nothing bad to say about The Witcher. But, you know, like some of the costumes or some of the beards that people have just look perfectly quaffed and shaved. And where Game of Thrones, they look like they just rolled out of a pig pen. So I think it's it's cool with the care that they put into their series on HBO. And I think that's why it reigns supreme for me. It's my favorite streaming app, honestly. Uh, it's it's, it's your not an app. Are you insane? Streaming that? streaming app. It's not user friendly. It's not the greatest, but it content is my, wise, you're talking content about? wise. Yes, okay. content wise. Say that app um, freaking sucks. Yeah, dude. both like the, the thirty second rewind. Yeah, so the, stupid. the TV and the um, the TV app, the native TV app, and the actual cell phone app are not the best. But I think the content is just absolutely incredible, especially since Warner Brothers puts their entire backlog basically in there and you just have a plethora of things to watch. Like with DC, when I watch Injustice, because you told me that it was on there, I'm like, oh, my God, this is awesome. They have every single DC thing. So very, very interesting. But that is all I have to say about the war in Vietnam. Sure. I watched that over the weekend. I know you did. (laughs) We were talking about feel good movies the other day. And I'm like, I don't know, Forrest Gump. So then I decided... I wanted to feel good, so I watched it. 
<laughs> Mama said they was my magic shoes. Yeah, and then a lot of people <laughs> die in this movie. I'm like, this isn't a feel-good movie. It's all lies. In Forrest Gump? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bubba yeah. dies. Jenny dies. The mama dies. Oh. Everyone dies. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute now. I thought I was supposed to feel good. Elvis dies. John F. Kennedy dies. Everyone knows that Elvis dies. John Lennon dies. Everyone dies. <laughs> Loitering stuff. Littering stuff. <laughs> Burning stuff. Burning stuff. <laughs> uh, let's see. I watched Icarus, which was insanely good. It starts off as one documentary and shifts into another. Uh, kind of falls into the uh, the Russian doping scandal for the Olympics. And it is intense. Check it out. Then I watched Malice at the Palace, which was recommended by uh, my sister. First of all, Icarus was recommended by David Ebbinson, Geek Legacy. And then Malice at the Palace was also great. Uh, are you familiar with that one? No, but I know of, I know of Icarus. And it's interesting. Did David recommend it because of what's going on with that figure skater and how she got caught for uh, like a, a legal heart medicine or something like that? No, he recommended it ages ago oh, okay. uh, when I told him. Well, he recommended it ages ago and then I forgot about it. And then he asked, he followed up when I told him we did Miracle on the, on the podcast. He's like, oh, did you ever watch that documentary Icarus? I'm like, no. He's like, oh, man, you got to check it out. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I meant to get to it. but <laughs> Yeah. And then then because the Olympics were on, I decided to go ahead and watch it. Uh, and it was good. He's good. Um, but yeah, and then the Mouse at the Palace was um, it's a documentary on the fight that broke out between. Oh, yes, I uh, saw that. Can I finish? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, sorry, sorry. The Pistons and the Pacers. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, yeah, that's okay. Uh, so I remember when it happened, I was watching it in my little one bedroom apartment and I, it was like so crazy. I was like, holy shit, dude, this is nuts. And of course, that was one of those reasons why I also can't stand Jim Gray. He was there. He was reporting on it. And he was crying. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, get this guy out of here. And I wasn't upset with him because he was crying. You know, He's anyone, just an asshole. <laughs> anyone could be upset about this night. But he was doing it to milk something to get some sort of, you know, journalistic integrity and some award or something like, you know, he he's after like a Pulitzer or something. And that's the vibe that I got from him. So I think he's as crooked as a barrel of snakes and I don't trust the man. And that is why I don't like him. But that's just me. Anyway, it was it was fun to watch this, see the 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 athlete's point of view as to what happened. And uh, it was it was crazy. So check it out when you get a chance. It is on the Netflix. How they like broke it down where, you know, they had to zoom in for the video to see who, who threw the water bottle. Yeah. And, and the and prosecutor, then, wouldn't yeah. you know it? The, <laughs> the guy's like neighbors with the with the yeah. guy that threw the bottle. That was he's a like, very small world. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, I know that son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I borrowed his um, lawnmower the other week. Yeah. Didn't well, put and, gas in it. And then you know. the fucking guy who made me mad in that was the one who went on the to the floor. On the court? Yeah. yeah. And then he tried to pull the shit. He's like, oh, he sucker punched me. I'm like, first of all, your ass shouldn't have been on the court. Like, don't pretend. Don't With his fist, like, yeah. closed and cocked like he's yeah. ready to punch. I'm like, don't don't sit here and try to tell me you were an innocent bystander. Like, fuck off, dude. That made me so mad. I was yeah. like, what a piece. <laughs> so. Yeah, that but, was bad. But yeah, I re- check it out. It's I remember I remember seeing that in person. I was in high school and I just was like, holy shit. Couldn't believe it was actually like t- 
I, I thought it was just going to end and then run our test meta world piece laid on that table. And then I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was nuts, dude. Very nuts. It was good, though. And then what else did I watch? Just to move it along really fast. Uh, picked up, uh, finished a uh, book of Boba Fett and uh, Peacemaker. My goodness, really cranked it up to 11. And uh, that's it. Rock and roll. Yeah, I need to catch up on Peacemaker, too. I'm two episodes behind, I think. Oh, man. Yeah, it is the fan. He's good. I'm really excited for this week's episode. But yes, uh, this week we are going to be doing The Prestige from 2006, directed by one Christopher Nolan, who you might know from Interstellar, Memento, Dunkirk, Inception, and The Dark Knight. Which, interestingly enough, I feel like a lot of this music in this movie uh, is sort of like a precursor to The Dark Knight. <laughs> it kind of has like the little rumbling effects. And uh, it just reminded me a lot of The Dark Knight. The prison reminds me of The Dark Knight. Very much that vibe like when he's in prison and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, Written by Jonathan Nolan, Christopher Nolan, and Christopher Priest, I guess, did the novel. How about that? The cast includes one Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale. says Christina Bale Sorry, here. Sorry, oops. <laughs> Trying to Ron Burgundy. <laughs> Me. Go uh, fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> Scarlett Johansson, Rebecca Hall, Michael Caine, David Bowie, Andy Serkis, Piper Parado, and Roger Reese. Roger Reese is the sheriff of Nottingham in, in Robin Hood Men in Tights. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he's good. How, how about that? I know, right? Critical reception is, let's see, yeah, it is a 76 on the old Rotten Tomato Meter there. And uh, that's from the critics. The audience gives it a 92. Wow. So the professionals are just better at watching movies than the rest of us, I suppose. Oh, man. Not me. You know, they know <laughs> what they're looking for. Let's see here. Like uh, Kathy Mayo from the magazine of fantasy and science fiction says the prestige does not impress as a magic act it's an elaborate contraption that leaves the viewer confounded and confused but never feeling particularly entertained or delighted by the performance so there's that drew deitched from giant freaking robot (laughs) that's fantastic the prestigious magic is real you just have to be looking for it Hmm. there you go uh mike massey one of your buddies from gone with the twins says just when viewers think they've figured things out that's when the exquisite diversionary tactics really kick in yeah magic has a lot of what do you call misdirection and i think this movie does too a lot of pocket sand. <laughs> yes. Sha, sha, sha. <laughs> uh, but it's good stuff. Uh, let's see here. It had a budget of $40 million. It grossed the United States at $53 million. Opening weekend, it did $14.8. You're welcome. I saw it opening weekend. And that was on, <laughs> I guess, October 22nd, 2006. Just in time for Halloween. Gross Great worldwide. Halloween film. <laughs> right. Worldwide. <laughs> You're looking at $109 million. So Chung Ling Su was a stage character created by William Ellsworth Robinson, a white man who disguised himself as a Chinese man to cash in on audiences' enthusiasm for the exotic. Robinson lived as Chung, never breaking character while in public. He died in March 1918 when a bullet catch trick went wrong. 
my God, I've been shot, were both his last words and the first English he had spoken on stage in 19 years. That is uh, not PC anymore. That's too bad. Yeah. The editing includes 146 time. What? The editing includes 146 time jump cuts in which the next shot either flashes back or skips ahead to another time period of the storyline. The averages to almost one timeline jump per minute of a movie. This averages to almost one timeline jump per minute of the movie. Cool. This writer, this was writer, producer, and director Christopher Nolan's lowest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes at 76%, like you said. It has since been surpassed by Interstellar 2014 at 71%. And I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> I want to point that that's, out. That's critics, though. Those, those are critics. Yeah, the smart ones. I said that earlier. Uh, They're the ones that know how to watch a movie. They know what makes a movie good. Uh, we are not in the know. Uh, we are ignorant in the ways uh, of the movie maker. What know. makes something absolutely amazing or just a pile of rubbish? I like Mike Massey. Gone with the twins. That's about us, you know. Six of the movie's stars played roles in several comic book movies. Christian Bale and Sir Michael Caine appeared as Batman and Alfred, respectively, in Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Hugh Jackman played Wolverine in the X-Men franchise. ScarJo played Black Widow in the Marvel Universe. Rebecca Hall appeared as Maya Hansen in Iron Man 3. Andy Serkis played Captain Haddock in The Adventures of Tintin, as well as Ulysses Claw in, a, in Avengers Age of Ultron and Black the Claw. Lanther. The Claw. Black so, Lanther? Like black, a combination black of Black Panther. Panther and Green Lantern? Cl- black Lantern. <laughs> in, in the novel, the machine works a bit differently than in the film. It doesn't copy a person exactly as they are. Memories are and personality intact, 500 to 100 feet away from the device's location. Instead, it does, in fact, transport the essence of a person into a newly created body, leaving behind a seemingly dead husk. These dead husks are what Angier refers to as his prestige materials in the novel. Oh, can't be cloning people. It's dangerous. Then you get a lot of Michael Douglases or Michael Keaton's. What am I saying? Got my Michaels all wrong. All right. Well, in 1890, 1890- Michael Jordan, he played for the Chicago Bulls. No. And the Washington Wizards. No. <laughs> in the 1890s London, Robert Angier and Alfred Borden work as shills for a magician under mentorship of John Cutter, an engineer who designed stage magic. During a water tank trick, Angier's wife Julia fails to escape <laughs> and drowns. It's Angier. <laughs> it's not, but it's funny to say. <laughs> You're getting, I'm getting angrier and angrier. <laughs> there you go. Angier, uh, devastated, blames Borden for using a riskier knot, causing her death. When Angier asks Borden which knot he used, Borden claims not to know. The two become bitter enemies and rivals. Angier and Borden launch their own magic careers, with Angier working with Cutter and Borden with the mysterious Fallon. Angier sabotages one of Borden's performances when he slips a real bullet into Borden's pistol during a bullet catch trick, resulting in Borden losing two of his fingers. Borden reciprocates by sabotaging Angier's disappearing bird act, killing the bird on stage and injuring a volunteer from the audience. Borden develops a trick he calls the transported man, in which he appears to travel instantly between two wardrobes on opposite ends of the stage. Unable to discern Borden's methods, Angier hires a double, Gerald Root, to perform his own version of the trick. The imitation is a greater success, but Angier is dissatisfied as he ends the trick hidden under the stage while Root basks in the applause. Root threatens to blackmail Angier and Cutter after being approached by Borden. Angier has his assistant, Olivia, spy on Borden to learn how he performs the transported man. However, Olivia falls in love with Borden and becomes his assistant. 
With her help, Borden sabotages Angier's act, crippling him in the process. Confronted by Angier, Olivia gives him a copy of Borden's encoded diary. Olivia begins to see that Angier's obsession over his competition with Borden has caused him to be more selfish and forget about his wife. Angier acquires the keyword to decode it, Tesla, by threatening threatening to kill Fallon. The diary takes Angier to America to meet scientist Nikola Tesla, who Angier believes built a machine for Borden. Tesla becomes suspicious towards Angier as he knows that he is obsessed with the machine but agrees to create the machine for him. Angier realizes that the diary is fraudulent, created as a distraction. Tesla builds the machine for him, but instead of teleporting objects, Tesla's machine duplicates anything placed in it a short distance away. Tesla is driven from Colorado Springs by agents of his rival, Thomas Edison, but has the machine delivered to Angier. He advises Angier to destroy it, saying it will bring him only misery. Borden's wife, Sarah, is driven to suicide by his contradictory personality. Borden reveals to Olivia that he never loved Sarah and that he loves her more. Tired of Borden and Angier's feud, Olivia leaves. In London, Angier debuts the real transported man using Tesla's machine, appearing to have teleported across the theater. Borden sneaks backstage and witnesses Angier fall through a trap door and drown in a tank. He is discovered by Cutter and turned over to the police. Unable to prove his innocence, Borden is found guilty of murder and sentenced to death. Tesla's machine is sold off to the wealthy Lord Caldlow, who is revealed to be the true identity of a seemingly still-alive Angier. Angier visits Borden in prison, accompanied by Borden's daughter Jess. In exchange for his tricks, Borden asks Angier to let his daughter go, but Angier leaves with Jess. When Cutter realizes that Angier is still alive, he is disgusted that Angier allowed Borden to be sentenced to death, but agrees to help dispose of Tesla's machine. Borden is hanged for Angier's murder. Angier goes back to the theater. A stranger enters and shoots Angier, revealing himself as Alfred Borden. Angier discovers Borden was an identity shared by a pair of identical twins. The brothers performed the original transported man together. When one was Borden, the other one was disguised as Fallon. Alfred loved Sarah while his dead brother, Freddie, had loved Olivia. While Angier uses Tesla's machine, every performance creates a new Angier, while the original drowns in a tank beneath the stage. Angier dies and drops his lantern, setting the theater alight. Borden leaves and picks up Jess at Cutter's workshop. In the burning theater, rows of tanks hold dead Angiers. So you mentioned that you first saw the prestige in theaters. And so was it opening night that you saw it? Uh, And what did you think when you first saw it? Uh, no, it was uh, not opening night. It was opening weekend. Though. I saw it on Sunday. I always went on Sunday mornings. First show on Sunday. Uh, and I liked it. I thought it was cool. Yeah. Did you, did you go home and bust out the old J.C. Cavender magic kit and mess around <laughs> with it and stuff? <laughs> yeah. Pulling Justin, rabbits out of hats. <laughs> Just Incredible is my magician name. <laughs> there you and, go. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I I suck at sleight of hand stuff. I am not good. <laughs> is, is this your card? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, this is checkers. <laughs> right. I'm not good at the old magic tricks. Yeah. So interesting, you know, and that was going to be my next question is what's your experience with magic or magicians? Are you a fan of it? And have you ever been surprised by some performances that you've seen? Yeah, I, I like magic. I mean, I, I wouldn't go to magic camp or anything, but if someone's like, hey, you want to see a magic trick? I'd be like, yes. i'd be ready for it my my cousin eric he was into magic in his teenage years and so he used to do tricks for the family and it was a lot of fun um i remember being a kid and watching like david copperfield specials on tv like escaping from alcatraz or 
maybe making the Statue of Liberty disappear or something. But uh, I I've never really been to a live magic show per se, like a Vegas one, which I always thought would have been cool, like to see like Lance Burton or somebody or Penn and Teller. But uh, I. I've never really been into like Chris Angel or David Blaine or anything like that. You know, they always Mind have freak. <laughs> yeah, that's not my jam, but uh, I can appreciate it. I, there, there is a, a level of showmanship and it is entertainment and it's fun. Uh, and so if someone had tickets, I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. I wouldn't be like, don't you want to see the Blue Man Group instead? I would, <laughs> I'd go check it out, but I just, I don't know. It's different. But if I'm ever like on the street or something, but then and someone's like doing some sort of performance, I'm happy to watch or participate in any way. It's fine. I don't mind. I had a magic kit when I was a kid and I tried to mess around with some stuff. I had a fake thumb that you could put a handkerchief in and all that kind of, you know, all that jazz. But I was not good with sleight of hand. So I just kind of gave up real quick with it. But it's it's not bad. I remember watching those shows like you were talking about. Um, you know, the David Blaine's and David Copperfield things when <laughs> he made the Statue of Liberty disappear. I was like, whoa, where'd it go? Yeah. <laughs> the, the one where he escapes from Alcatraz I had on VHS, like I recorded wow. on TV. And all of a sudden he's like in the helicopter and there was this little dog and he rescued the dog. It's like a police dog, but it was a puppy. He's <laughs> like kind of hidden in his coat. It's Man. Like, oh. Now you're really going to jail. You're stealing dogs. (laughs) So so back in 98 on on Fox, there was a show. There was a special that came on and it was called Magic's Biggest Secrets Finally Revealed. And it was this masked magician guy. Oh, yeah. He'd go on, you know, TV and he would give away all these uh, all all, all the 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 tricks and stuff. And I'm like, man, I wonder why he's doing this. I wonder if there's other magicians who are really pissed at him for doing this, but it was super cool. Cool. Yeah. Breaking the magician's code, I think is what it was called. Mm-hmm. So I love the shit out of that. That was really neat. And he revealed himself at the very end, but I don't think he actually showed his face. He like talked and he just said magic should be shared by all or something like that. Yeah. So that was a good way to retire the tricks though, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> keep, keep, gonna, the, keep the magicians honest. You're not going to get into poof magazine. If you're revealing all the secrets, is that real? That's in the rest of development. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I got to get into that poof. It's behind your ear. <laughs> <laughs> Did someone say wonder? <laughs> fire, fire. <laughs> so cool. Oh, job. Um, yeah, anyway, so I... Gob, Gob Bluth. Gob? Yeah, well, yeah, like his, his name is Joe. It's Gob, but, yeah, it's but Job. But every time they introduce him, they always <laughs> say Gob. Gob. <laughs> Gob. What a weird name. But, well, George Oscar Bluth. Oh, that makes more sense. Man, it's been so long since I've seen Arrested Development. So that's why I'm like, oh, okay, now now I kind of get it. It's all good. Yeah, I just remember the Blue Man Group one. I blew myself. Yeah, <laughs> I like how there's <laughs> like blue paint all over the house. I know. It's so funny. I remember the like, one when the cupboards and stuff. Tobias uh, hires the gang members because he thinks it's an acting gig and they go like do a full on West Side Story style thing against the real gang members. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> oh, that was funny. So, you know, speaking of surprises with all the magic and flying, Nolan does a really great job of incorporating provocative twist endings in his films. I think we can both agree on that. Memento is a perfect example of this. Uh, the movie is equally jaw dropping and just kind of like holy buckets, right? So how did you feel about the plot twist in The Prestige? Did you expect or predict it the very first time you saw it? No, I had no idea. I was thrown for a loop, as they say. <laughs> 
I, I honestly, I had no idea what to expect. And like, I, as I was watching it, I was trying to figure things out, you know, and, and I was thinking to myself, well, he's only showing me what he wants me to see. And so even if the answer was right in front of my face, I doubt I would even know it. And so as I was watching it, I was trying to piece it together, but it, I was duped. I was like, whoa. And, and it, it is kind of interesting how you see on your second rewatch, the pieces are there. You mm-hmm. just have no, I mean, let's just pretend that someone does figure it out. They are definitely in the minority because I feel like <laughs> that that yes, the pieces were there, but none of it made sense until it all sort of played out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, it got me. It got me good, you fucker. <laughs> I would love to watch this movie with someone who hasn't seen it for the first time mm-hmm. and really just kind of watch their reaction. Uh, it is. It can be a very confusing film for sure because of the narrative structure and just how everything jumps around. But we'll get into that later because I have a question for that. Mm-hmm. But I but, but Cutter even says he uses a double. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, it's you're like simplest, I, I believe it. <laughs> simplest answers. And, and it's yeah. crazy because Angier is just like he Cutter was right the entire time. and didn't listen to him. It was a double. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I think that it goes to show that sometimes the most simple solution is the solution. We don't have to overthink things. Um, but Andrew had a lot of obsession and all this and jealousy and rage going on. So all he could really see was there's no way this guy's the best magician I've ever seen. And he's got to be doing something crazy. There's there's a ruse. He's grifting us. See, mm-hmm. so he needed to figure it out. But I was I still I mean, it's good for for this one if you wait a while before you watch it, like it's been a few years since I've seen this. And I, when I first saw it, I think I got it back like on in Netflix on a DVD. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's been years since I've seen it and it's cool to watch it um, this way. And it's streaming on Amazon prime, right? Yeah. Or, that's how okay. I watched it. Yeah. I own it on, on Blu-ray disc. And so I, that's what I watched it on, but it wait, was, uh, it real was quick. The mm-hmm. um, one thing about the two different teleporting tricks is that uh, prior, prior to, the, the whole involvement of, of Tesla's machine. But um, Borden has the doors facing the audience, mm-hmm. whereas Angier has them to the side. And to this day, I don't know how the door can open and the trap door come up and the fake pop out right. without it being cam- Hollywood hocus pocus. Whereas with Borden's, he could pop up behind the door and then open it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense how Angier's works because the only real dimension is the door jam. Yeah. And then somehow the door opens and then he appears. I, I feel like that's Hollywood hocus pocus. All that hocus pocus. Well, maybe that's uh, part of the the whole film. It's it's Nolan playing a magic trick on you. Pulled a fast right. one. <laughs> right. I just don't see how that's possible, how the door can open before the trap door gets to the top yeah even if it were rigged to where it opens as the trap door is going up someone from the side of the audience would see it they'd be like this is blasphemy this is the devil's work or something like that yeah especially if you're a balcony seats yeah i don't know man i never i was never alive in the 19th century so i I, I couldn't tell you but no um, so speaking of plot twists and stuff, what are some of your favorite plot twists in books, TV, movies, or life? <laughs> yeah. Plot twist. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a couple. Uh, so I think some of the obvious ones are like Empire Strikes Back with, with Vader being Luke's father. 
Uh, and, and that I was think, before the internet too. Imagine holding that plot twist like that's crazy. Yeah, secret to everyone. Dude. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the Sixth Sense was a really good one. That one caught mm. me off guard. I was like, what? Oh, <laughs> I had the dumbest look on my face when that was revealed. <laughs> the files are in the computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait a minute now. Uh, someone playing it all in my head. Like, was he, was he in the room with the mom? But she wasn't talking to him. He was just sitting there like a creeper. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, all right. I'm the stuttering Stanley. I'm a little slow on this one. And then um, I think Scream was really good in that there were two killers. Yeah. That caught me off guard. I was like, what? No, you can't have no two killers. Fight Club, that was another one. And they tell you at the beginning, I know this because Tyler knows this. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you read the gut dang book, you wouldn't have any clue. So I thought that was a pretty good one. The Usual Suspects was a good one, too. I haven't really rewatched that since Kevin Spacey turned out to be a creeper. But I remember the big reveal when Agent Coulion is drinking his coffee and looking at the board. And we don't really know what he's looking at, but we can see that he's figuring it out. And then it cuts to the board and it's all the different stories that he told with the voiceover. I was like, whoa, that's pretty good. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. I enjoyed that quite a bit, too. I haven't seen Usual Suspects in a long time. I've only seen it once, but I'm in the same vein. I don't really care to watch it because of the of the Kevin Spacey. Yeah. And he's the gut bang star. He is. I think Seven was another one that caught me off guard with the what's in the box. Yeah. I was not expecting the head. (laughs) That was a bit much. I was like, whoa, that sucks to be you. Also, Kevin Spacey, so probably won't watch that one anytime soon. It's all about twists, man. Jeez. Too many Kevin Uh, Spacey twists. Oh, Psycho? Psycho's a good one. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was one where uh, I I think I was already old enough to know the story when it came out, um, you know, cause it came out, you know, decades before I was born. And so just through conversation and pop culture references, by the time I saw it, I already knew, but I can imagine that, uh, that would have been a big deal at the time. Right. Uh, I, I did get the privilege of, of experiencing planet of the apes without knowing that that was earth. Wow. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. I was, I was like in second grade. So, uh, the pop culture references didn't really, you know, it was playground talk, and I'm pretty sure I'm the only kid on my playground that's seen Planet of the Apes <laughs> at the time. So uh, it was a pretty good secret for me. Um, secret, yeah, secret. That's kind of secret. That's a couple good ones. Yeah, those are great ones. Those are excellent choices, and it's actually on a lot of uh, you know top twenty lists of all time or whatever for plot plot twists. I did post it on Twitter. And um, we got some responses. So uh, our buddy David over at Geek Garage Podcast, he said Fight Club, you know, Tyler Durden and the narrator being one and the same. And I remember seeing that, too, for the first time, like you were saying. And I was like, what? Because I didn't read yeah. the Chuck, Chuck Palahniuk book. And I'm like, oh, OK, it makes all sense. Marla never really, you know, she's like, what's with you today or whatever. So it was one and the same. And then um, our buddy uh, Rob at Digi1701 said Julianne Moore's exit in Children of Men was a big oh shit moment. And I agree. I was not expecting her to die in that film. Yeah. And then he said, you know, the granddaddy of them all has to be Vader's revelation in Empire Strikes Back. And I said, I responded with, uh, what about Planet of the Apes? He's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I forgot about that one because he loves Planet of the Apes. And I think, well, that movie was in the 60s, right? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that talk about 
again, like without being in the newspapers and stuff like that, that probably would have been something that you're like, holy shit, seeing it uh, at the old theater. Um, Stoltzken said the Darth Vader reveal also, and then runner up was Kaiser Soze. I agree with that. Um, The Adventures in Collecting podcast says when Jigsaw gets up at the end of Saw, and that is a very good one because I'm uh, freaking out on that. Bruce Willis in Sixth Sense, The Killer in Scream 2, The Endings of the Usual Suspects and Fight Club, Empire Strikes Back. And I asked why specifically Scream 2, and he just said Billy Loomis's mom is such a good hidden in plain sight swerve, plus it's Aunt Jackie. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, because she never shared a scene with Sydney ever. Yeah, it was definitely. Well, doesn't she? Oh, no, she only talks to Gail, right? Because she's a right. local reporter and she talks to Gail. Mm-hmm. But but you are right. That was a very you're you were expecting, especially from Scream 1, you're expecting it to be a friend. And then it's all of a sudden this woman. And you're like, who the hell is this? So that was uh, very interesting for me. I said Parasite was one of those. And I don't know if you saw Parasite or not, but that was very that thing was filled with turns. And I just was like, holy shit, watching it. So then uh, that old boy is another good one, too. Old boy has a very big reveal at the end that you're just like, holy shit. That was crazy. Um, And then I agree with you with seven. The what's in the box? You know, it's always going to be one of those classic plot twists. So I I'm a fan. What if he was shaking it to try and figure out what was (laughs) He's like, it's my birthday. (laughs) He's like, oh, Mills, you shouldn't have (laughs) just shaking it around. (laughs) Is it a football? It's a football, isn't it? (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) Yeah. Socks, oh, it sucks. Yeah, I hope There's you save rocks in there to, to make me uh, not figure it out. You're gonna need some head ointment there. So, yeah, <laughs> definitely need the head ointment. Oh gosh. So halfway through uh, the Prestige, we discover that Tesla has invented a device to clone a person, and Robert uses this to his violent advantage. One plot twist shows us that Robert is killing his clones in all order to perform his magic trick. These clones are not technically full Roberts, but rather fractions of him, we'll say. Sci-fi films like to pose the question about humanity and what makes a thing human, like tears in the rain. Are these clones actual humans to you? Could there ever be an argument made that Robert is not murdering people since they are just facsimiles of himself? Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like the original Angiers is gone. I because every time they he uses the machine, the clone is teleported and appears. So I yeah. think that he, I think when they're talking about sacrifice, you don't know what sacrifice is, and he's like, "Don't tell me that, man! I've fucking <laughs> I've died like eighteen thousand times. This is show one hundred or whatever." Don't talk to me about yeah. sacrifice. <laughs> so I I think the real Angiers is long gone. Oh, because uh, he he couldn't have convinced. Another twin to, hey, go ahead and do this trick again. <laughs> I promise you're going to be safe. I, <laughs> don't worry about are. this gun. I'm just I'm just cleaning it. <laughs> and so I think that they are actual versions of him and not just like, uh, you know, an echo or anything like that. I, I think that he was so passionate and dedicated to to making this work that he was willing to lose everything to to do it. And so I know he shoots the first one when he's like, when he's in the machine at the beginning or, you know, his first test run or whatever, but uh, it's always the original that stands still and the, the clone appears far away. So when the final one was done and he drops into the tank and that, that, that version of him drops into the tank and the other one, I think he just bolts and disappears to, to show like, Hey, I died. Hmm. He doesn't come back for the prestige. 
he just leaves. So uh, to this point, I would argue that they are people because now he goes on to be this Codlow or whatever the hell the guy's name was. Um, Finkelforth. What was his name? <laughs> Codlow. Lord Codlow. Yeah. Lord Codlow. Lord Farquhar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and so when he's confronted by by um, Cutter? Cut, no, not Cutter. But Borden. Borden, yeah, mm-hmm. the brother. I just couldn't remember which one it was. Uh, it would have been the the Fallon that was in love with Sarah. Sarah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, he's like, you don't know what sacrifice is, and he's like, uh, I don't think so, bro. I didn't know <laughs> yeah. if I was going to be the one in the tank or the one that got to, you know, celebrate. And so it's all lost to him. He's literally given up everything. That's how I interpret it as I, I feel yeah. like th- that the, that the Angiers that we knew from the beginning of the movie is long since gone. That's actually a really good point. And I, I've, as you were speaking, I'm just racking my brain. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm trying to find that pinpointed moment because he does have a flashback of the first time he uses it and he has a gun and he immediately sees the clone and shoots him. Right. Mm-hmm. So I am assuming that the one that shoots is the, original Angier, but like you were saying, he is, he is. Yeah. He doesn't move. He's in the machine. So the machine doesn't transport your body. It just clones you and sends you to the other side. And so he was doing the trap door thing. So you're absolutely, I think you're right because every one of those clones was just falling through the trap door into a barrel of water. Um, that, that is, was getting locked and then stored yeah, by the, by the blind guys. Yeah. Taken to the warehouse. Yeah. Wow. That is uh, pretty gnarly stuff, but I agree with you all for his obsession. That is is pretty scary. And so I'm I'm thinking, too, of like, for lack of a better example, but multiplicity, each one, how that he talks about how they kind of diminish a little more in brain capacity. Right. Diminishing returns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like pizza. So that I, one was a copy of a copy, though. So they copied ex- three. Yeah. To see, get that's, four, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like the facsimiles. I'm wondering, too, if they let's just hypothetically say you could clone people. If you copied a copy, would that be as human as the original? Because it's only having the stored memories that half of you would have, if that makes any sense. So I'm curious on that. Well, yeah. So, I mean, if you were to do it by the numbers, right? So uh, let's say I'm just an A. And you copy me, so there's a Justin B now. Justin B has all of my memories mm-hmm. up until the clone happened, and then he's off making his own. He's off on his own adventures, right? So now, <laughs> the adventures of Justin B. <laughs> that's where that's where the disconnect is, right? Yeah, now he has his yeah. own ideas and things, but he would know everything about me. Mm-hmm. And then, but if if you make another copy of of Justin A, then Justin C is. Literally just like B, right when the copy happened, you know. Mm-hmm. What I mean? So it's always going to be whatever my new memories are and everything. So I mean, if he's if he's that dedicated and this is my mission in life, it is interesting that there aren't different personalities where yeah. where multiplicity examined that very idea, right? Like like uh, copy number two was a little bit more of a bad boy, but also kind of liked working for a living using his hands, whereas. Um, clone number three was sort of the domesticated one that liked to do uh, the housework and be a, a house mom kind of thing, you know? And then it was four that was just sort of not altogether <laughs> there. But what's interesting about that, though, is that they all had their own personalities from the moment they woke up. Whereas in this movie, they are all exact copies of Angiers. 
it's kind of like, you know, movies about time travel where each director is going to give their own spin on it for the most part. And I think that, mm-hmm. that you could be, you could say that for this, but in terms of if they're humans, I mean, I think they are, there's like, it still doesn't diminish in, in no way am I um, proclaiming that it diminishes the fact that they were heinous acts that Angier is killing these, his clones. It's disgusting and horrible. And I mean, it's just him sacrificing himself because he, like he said, this is my last trick I'm going to do. I'm done after this. And mm-hmm. he's pretty much lost everything anyways. So it's pretty crazy stuff, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't condone killing a, a clone of any kind, whether no. it be an animal or a person. Uh, life is life, I suppose. Unless they went rogue and were trying to hunt down people. Rogue is my favorite X-Men. Yeah, she touches At people and gets like her power. the 90s cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily the movie version of Rogue, but... She, she could fly and was super strong at that point. And she had so. the, the southern accent. Yeah. She so. called people should. Should. Like Dale Gribble's wife. <laughs> I watched the hot tub one when Hank installs the... <laughs> oh, yeah. The hot tub. Should. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> when, he, when Dale comes home, yeah, and he's like, a hot tub. he's like, we can go hot tub. And then the balloon goes up in the air. He's like, there goes your present. <laughs> <laughs> I like when he brings out the hair dryer, but he's like, do you have an extension cord so I can bring this hair dryer? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I feel um, like, I, I feel like this is how Italy is. <laughs> yeah, so American funny. cheese. It's a whole nother level of class. Oh gosh, Peg. So Christopher Nolan is one of the premier directors of our generation. His clout gives him him immediate marquee power, which allows him to draw top tier actors. Nolan is not afraid to recycle his actors as well. I feel like Michael Caine alone is in practically every Nolan film in some facet. Am I right? Mm -hmm. How do you feel about directors using the same actors in multiple films? If you were a director, Justin Cavender, what repeat actors would you keep casting in your movies? Sure. So I personally like it. I think it's cool. I think it adds to their aesthetic uh not to take that the human away from the art or anything like that but i i do think it it helps sort of cement the craft of the actor you know and so me personally like with tarantino he uses a lot of the same ones and i'm all for it like i like seeing samuel jackson show up in all of his movies i think it's cool and it's like who's he playing today and <laughs> um I, I think it, it adds something to it. And like for me, you know, Kurt Russell would be a really good one. Samuel Jackson would be a really good one. Joel Edgerton would be a really good one. Uh, I do like Michael Caine. I think he's fantastic. Um, so, I mean, there's there's uh, Emily Blunt. I think she's freaking awesome. Uh, so those are some of the ones that I can think of off the top of my head that I really, really enjoy. Uh, ones that can step out of their comfort zone, do something a little bit different sometimes uh, and be blown away by it. He is a very impactful actor in each of the films that he's in for Nolan. I mean, even Interstellar, too, right? You know, he basically tells that lie. And then uh, obviously Dark Knight and Batman Begins and Dark Knight Rises. Alfred is is a linchpin for Bruce. And it's very awesome to see what he does throughout the films. But Michael Caine is, is, is brilliant. And he was very, mm-hmm. very good in this film as well. Um, I think the only thing that I can say is sometimes it can get distracting. I really enjoy the the Samuel L. Jackson cameos in Tarantino films because it's like that Leo meme where he points at the screen, you know, it's like, oh, there it is. Right. <laughs> so like in Inglorious Bastards, Samuel L. Jackson's only uh, cameo is a voiceover, basically. But mm-hmm. it's still cool because you're like, there he is. I've been waiting for it all day. Right. Um, and, I, and I'm OK with that, too. I mean, it doesn't have to be a big part like Michael Caine's role isn't all that 
it's an important role in the prestige, but he's not, he doesn't have a ton of screen time as it were, you know, same within, uh, inception. He's, he's not, he's in inception hardly at all. Mm-hmm. And same goes with interstellar. It's an important role, but screen time wise, when it's a three hour movie, yeah. he's in the movie for 12 minutes or something like that. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I, I am, I am a fan though of if it's a good act, you might as well stick with it. You know, mm-hmm. if, if there's nothing wrong with it, you don't need to fix it. Sure. And and I'm sure there's different things that come into play. Like, you know, do they show up on time? You know, do they waste time on set? Are they hard to work with? (laughs) Things like that. Uh, Things that um, some actors are known to be the opposite of those things. And it's hard for them to get work because of it. Yeah. Which is surprising with Christian Bale. (laughs) Fucking amateur man. (laughs) Yeah. So he's, he's interesting because he's such a chameleon, you know, and it's it's crazy that he can go from being super buff in you know like Dark Knight or something, and then be some cracked out dude in the fighter, <laughs> and <laughs> the, like, the machinist or something. Yeah, like the that. machinist, yeah. and then all of a sudden be you know bulk buffed up for Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's some some serious changes to your body. You know, like Jared Leto, he's another one that's kind of a million. Yeah, but then apparently he's kind of an asshole on set. I mean, obviously I've never worked with the man, so I don't know, but. If it is, it's interesting when someone achieves a certain level of, of status, some of that can be like, uh, you know, negotiated with you're like, well, it's kind of an asshole, but it's a good actor <laughs> and I'll probably get some awards. So let's go ahead and just hire him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm sure that's a conversation that happens. Absolutely. I think so, too. I think you just endure for a little bit and sometimes it works. I mean, Christian Bale might be a delight, but we've we've only ever seen a few of the outbursts. So. It is what it is. Yeah. So oftentimes people confuse passion for obsession and vice versa. How do you define the differences? And then what are the benefits or consequences of each? Uh, okay. So I would say that a an obsession, I would classify as an unhealthy behavior, you know, to where you are concerned about something so much that it is distracting you from other things in your life. Uh, to the point where you might even be out of your head a little bit. Whereas a passion, I think, is a good thing, and it might be sort of an outlet for you to express yourself in some way uh, in your free time and when you have time. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I immediately think of Whiplash, the movie we did uh, with the drummer, right? I, I mm-hmm. would classify that as an obsession. He's He's passionate about drumming, but the fact that he swears off his girlfriend, he basically... It gets in a car wreck and is willing to just run from the hospital or the scene of the crime so he can go drum. I mean, there's good that comes out of it, like an amazing performance, but at what cost, right? He alienates himself from everybody. So it can be a very d- dangerous thing. And I, I agree with your definitions of the obsession and the passion. I have a lot of passions in life. Film is a passion of mine. Um, you know, I really enjoy sports. That's a passion of mine. The outdoors are a passion, but I'm not obsessed. It's not... I have to wake up and I have to do these things or I'm going to lose my freaking head. Right. <laughs> right. So so. The consequences and repercussions. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that's and that's when it that's when an obsession is is a problem. Right. Because it's an unhealthy amount uh, to where it is causing maybe you bodily harm, financial harm, um, you know, even uh, some sort of intimate harm to where you are losing relationships or family because of it. Um, like something like um, an addiction, right? 
obsession is like an addic- an addiction to where it could be like gambling or drugs or alcohol, right? Um, it's 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 a whole nother layer of complications that is unhealthy. Obsession is a young man's game. So they say you, that in the mood. I know. Have you ever had an obsession at all? I don't think so. I've I've been passionate about things, <laughs> uh, but I don't think I've ever been obsessed per se. Uh, maybe I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to know because I don't think that when you are obsessed, I think denial is. Uh, you know, one of your first responses. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's hard to say, but this is actually I, an intervention. Justin. <laughs> but thinking out loud, I don't believe I've ever been obsessed with anything. Um, it's possible. I am incorrect, but um, you know, I've never suffered like financial ruin or um, you know, real loss of who I am. Yeah. So maybe I've come close, but I don't I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I'm definitely impassioned about things. And when I'm excited about something, I'm not afraid to go all out. Absolutely. So so like, uh, for example, I just started taking up uh, painting miniatures, uh, playing D&D with friends. And I am really digging the painting <laughs> side of these miniatures. And so. Uh, I've, I've, I've picked up a couple of, uh, of little figs and, uh, you know, I got my paintbrushes for Christmas. They were a Christmas gift. It was nice. something that I've always wanted to do. And then Alex thought it would be fun to sort of kick the door open for me. And so she got me paint. She got me paints and um, like this awesome paint set. And then uh, I bought brushes and then, you know, of course, I need like a slate. Right. So I went and got a slate and then <laughs> um, I, I got some mini figs. And uh, so I had bought the um on Hasbro Pulse, they did a, a crowdfunding for the game HeroQuest, which I had when I was a kid. And there's a million miniatures in there, but they're unpainted. They're like skeletons are like the sort of off-white color, but you know they're generic skeletons, right? So now I'm making them look like real cool skeletons. <laughs> and uh, and then you know we're playing D and D, so I got some cool minifigs to represent my guy. Uh, I got some metal ones, I got some plastic ones, and I'm just kind of having fun with it. And uh, then I got. It's hard for me to see because I'm old and blind. And so Alex got me this magnifying glass and with a light attached to it kind of thing. <laughs> and, you know, I got my little workstation. And then she saw that I was using this mug to wet my brushes and, and dry them off with and everything. So she got me this cool little tool thing that that serves uh, as my my cup, my new, my new cup. It's no longer <laughs> a Star Wars cup that's using this. It's this actual thing that's designed for it. And so... Uh, over the course of like the last like three weeks, you know, I've, I've sort of accumulated enough things to have a respectable workstation. You know, I have this little uh, painting mat thing that I use now and, and it's, it's feeding this passion and giving me the tools that I need to be successful. And so I, I would just classify that as, you know, I am passionate about painting now and I'm not obsessed with it. I haven't, you know, maxed out a credit card and, and, <laughs> you know, going into debt over minifigs or anything like that. Um, and, you know, I do it when I get the chance. Obviously, I have a newborn, so time is limited. But when I have a moment to myself, uh, if I don't feel like playing a video game, I pick up a paintbrush. And I think that's a very healthy and creative outlet. So that falls under the passion category. Absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, a big a big part of uh, the obsession passion 
definition came into play in this film because Borden and Angier had a rivalry. And so they could both be passionate on their own about magic, but Angier was so obsessed with how Borden did his trick when he, you know, he saw the transporter man and he said, it's the greatest trick I've ever seen. And that became his obsession of finding out how he did it. And that's why he even said, you know, it can't be that simple. He can't just be using a double. He's telling the engineer, the guy who knows how to do these things, who helps him with these, like, no, dude, you're wrong. It's like, right. hang on a second. <laughs> like, hang on like a second. I'm taking crazy film. <laughs> it's know. a double. Is this is so hard for you to understand. And then to oh, the come point on, where Wolverine, he says, Jesus. He says, I don't care about my wife. I care about, you know, that this was, is how he does this trick. That was and a he, lot. Yeah. He was just saying how he lost it. This man took everything from him. How much did he really take if you just now all of a sudden don't even care about your wife and all you care about is this trick? It's crazy stuff. Calm down, dude. I think the only obsession I've maybe had two obsessions were Funko Pops and movies uh, in in the sense of buying movies. When I first started buying DVDs, I just it was like every payday. I got paid every Friday because I worked in in retail. So I'd go every Tuesday to like on new release days and I go to Best Buy or Fred Meyer or whatever. And I'd have to get a movie like if I left empty handed, I felt weird. But it was they, they weren't brand new titles. Typically, it was just what was on sale or sometimes I'd splurge for a brand new title. But I always knew it would go on sale later. And that got a little troublesome because I'm like, oh, I'm spending a little too much here and there. And it wasn't anything where I was selling my kidneys or anything like that for, you know, or my kidney for food. But <laughs> um, it, I, I that could have gotten out of hand, too, obviously. And same with the Funko Pops. And that was just more of a product of being a Target employee. But right yeah. It has to be on the shelf for 15 minutes. No, oh, I timed it. I had one where I, I put it out there and I was walking, I was pacing back and forth and I waited. Some lady came and kind of looked at it and put it back on the shelf and I was like, yes. <laughs> so uh, it was pretty good. Pretty, yeah. pretty. But. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, it's definitely a slippery slope. I think that passion can lead to an obsession. I think that that's perfectly valid. But just got to chickity check yourself before you wreck yourself, as they say. <laughs> I feel like those are two types of cologne, passion and obsession by Calvin yeah. Klein. They might even be a Snapple and a Sobe. <laughs> Ooh, Sobe. Sobe. <laughs> I haven't had one of those in a long time. Man. All right. Well, so moving on, one of the many reasons I really enjoy this movie is because it gives me plenty of opportunities to pay attention to clues throughout the film that foreshadow the ending, just like you were saying at the beginning. How rewatchable is The Prestige for you? What are some of your favorite rewatchable movies, even though you know the ending? Sure. Uh, so I think this movie is extremely rewatchable. I think there's a lot going on that you can pick up on, especially a quick rewatch. Uh, so I think that a lot of times you watch a movie and then fast forward 10, 20 years later, you watch it again. You're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But uh, and, and you're, you sort of have a, a half memory of what happens. This movie I watched on Sunday and then I watched it again today. Uh, just kind of had it on in the background and I was like, oh, yeah, look at that shit. Oh, man, it's right in your face. Oh, man, look at that. There's what I'm <laughs> telling you. This. So it's kind of cool to, to rewatch uh, quickly. And I feel like I, I talked about that with uh, the, the last duel. That was one that I think would have benefited if you had two and a half hours to kill. I feel like that <laughs> one would benefit from a quick rewatch sure uh there's a there's a handful of movies that are like that and i know that i've seen the hateful eight ten thousand times uh that that is one that i like to just have on and i do think that there's a lot going on in that movie so that one's fun for me as a fun rewatch even though it is sort of a who a classic whodunit and i know whodunit 
<laughs> I, I like to see it get done. <laughs> Senior Bob. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just, it's fun for me. I don't know why. And uh, the usual suspects would have been one that I, I watched a lot, uh, especially in college. I watched that one quite a bit. That was one of those ones where it was like, oh, you haven't seen this movie. You got to watch it. And it was fun to watch with people mm-hmm. scream. I've seen scream a billion trillion times. And even though, uh, you know, we know who the killer is. We know who's going to live. We know who's going to die. Uh, it is still fun to to watch. Uh, even the beginning, my goodness, with Drew Barrymore, that's so intense. It's iconic. I yeah, I can, I can watch them all any day of the week. I think they're all fun in their own way. And so that's the, the, the rewatchability in the trilogy alone is pretty incredible. Um, yeah, I do think four is the one I've seen the least. And up until this, you know, this reboot came out. Uh, I hadn't, uh, I would say the screen four was the one I'd seen the least amount. I think I'd only seen like two or three times. Whereas the other ones I've lost count. Uh, Psycho, I think is another one that's fun to rewatch just for just how it was made. To be honest with you, I, I do think that the way Psycho was shot is absolutely incredible. And I think if you are an aspiring filmmaker, there's a lot on the table for you to digest and, uh, and just sort of, you know, cut your teeth with. Uh, there's, there's some really unique uh, camera shots and and just the way the story is told is a lot of fun uh, is particularly just the red herring. Like you think you have yeah. the star of the movie and then nope. she's, in, she's in, <laughs> Yeah, she's in it for like, what, 30 minutes or something like yeah. that. And then you're like, holy shit, yeah. she just got killed. But the same to what you're saying, like in that as you were speaking, I was thinking of Scream. I mean, shit, the biggest twist in Scream might have been the first killing off Drew Barrymore because she's an A-list actress, right? And she's on the cover. You're like, damn, she's going to be the main girl in this film. And then, boom, she gets killed 10, 15 minutes into the movie. It's pretty crazy. I think enough time had passed to where it was more of a resurgence in her career. Like, I don't think she was an A-lister in 1996. You don't think so? I I think it was that performance that that brought her back. she, She was in... She was E.T. in Batman Forever in 95. And then, but before that, it was a long gap of a conversation about Drew Barrymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, E.T. Yeah, was 1982. <laughs> Firestarter is 80 something. And now she's grown up and she's back. You know, she had a, she had a troubled childhood. She, she was going to the parties and doing lines of cocaine off of fucking Rob Lowe's back probably. And, cocaine. and, and now she got a resurgence. And so I think it was that performance that all of a sudden now she's in every fucking movie again. So she was in Wayne's World, too, man. That was in oh. Bad Girls. Come on. Come on. Boys on the Ooh. side. When and were those Scream. made, though? Those are all before Scream. Oh, really? Yeah. Bad Girls is 94. Inside the Gold Mine is 94. Boys on the Side is 95. Mad Love, 95. Batman Forever, 95. Damn, she had a lot of movies in 95. She had like yeah, four. Yeah, so I mean, she, was, she was on her road to, to coming back. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, then that makes that makes sense. But uh, I was just more thinking, I mean, that putting putting an actor or an actress like that in, in a film nowadays to, well, in the screen movies, I think all bets are off, right? Because right. Y- you have a feeling like, well, this person could die any minute. But we just talked about Ozark before this and that shows like that are breaking bad have so many crazy just we're just going to kill this person you're like what just comes out of nowhere sort of thing and that's kind of what you have to do or game of thrones for example like that's what you really have to do um and in your rewatches of game of thrones i know we're deviating a little bit but were you did you find things you're like oh i totally forgot about that not particularly only because i read the books oh okay never mind i never read Uh, the books so so um I think if someone hadn't, then sure. 
but I kind of already had a roadmap. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, I think it's cheating a little bit. Yeah. But had... I do think that the that the show does a good job of of planting those uh, like yeah. Easter eggs for people that have read the books. Uh, so I do think that you get a little bit more joy out of them if you at least the first five seasons or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it kind of you know goes its own way, like um, Fleetwood Mac. But there you go, <laughs> like your buddy Mr. Mac there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, cool. I I agree, man. There's I I love rewatching certain films like The Hateful Eight, and we when we discussed that on this show, it was cool to pick up on things and pick up on the clues. So for for show, now the plot of this or the plot in this film is very non-linear. The story goes all over the place, right? However, I think that Nolan had a very direct intention in doing so. Did you ever have a hard time? Uh, filling the timeline, paying attention to what was going on and figuring out how this plot was structured. So I think the the first time I watched it, I, I was trying really hard to keep up. I was like, <laughs> okay, because like when there's a couple of, of cues that show that it's kind of in the future, you know, he's dressed very dapper. You know, it's a Victorian era thing. He's got a big top hat. Yeah, he's got the cane because he's sustained the injury. You know, his leg is now broken. Uh, so there are a few things that kind of make me realize that this is sort of uh, in in uh, later in the story but you know the the beginning of the movie there's that quick reveal of the hats in the forest you're like what the hell is this all about and then there's the trick that happens the fatal trick right the one that we see where borden goes down he's like i'm part of the act you know and he's trying to break the glass and then he's in prison and then it goes he's reading that diary and then it goes back to the flashbacks of these two young magicians that were assistants and helping out. And then it's sort of telling the story and then the whole jumping back and forth. But I think there's musical cues and then clothing cues. But as I was watching it, I I don't think that I was necessarily confused by what was happening, but I was just trying to, I was so stressed about keeping up that it was having a, an impact on my guessing the plot. <laughs> you know, does that make sense? Like, yeah, I was just yeah. like, oh shit, this is happening. This is happening. There's so much to look at. There's so much going on. And <laughs> that's pause, please. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was never really confused, but I was always just like, okay, here we go. Okay. New time. Here it is happening. But, um, it, and that's the way a magic trick is too, right? There's a lot going on on stage. They they have you looking at one thing when something else is happening. Uh, it's all the the whole misdirection. And and he does a good way of not making us feel like idiots. No, Christopher Nolan, that is. You know, having a character like Cutter explain things and and try and and bring reason to these tricks and and why it's done a certain way. So I do think that that is is helpful and it is not a hindrance nor insulting. Um, but the time jumps did make things interesting because I noticed that the synopsis reads very linear. The one that you read. Yeah. And, um, it would, you would sound like you were having a a stroke if you were reading this the way it (laughs) happened in the movie. (laughs) And so, um, it, it was cool that that played out that way. But I do think that the movie just had a more dynamic approach by being split up and having a nonlinear approach. Absolutely. I think that if we watched it from start to finish, it it wouldn't be as exciting. And I'm glad that you said 
it's like a magic trick, right? Where it's misdirection. And Nolan, I mean, would you agree with me that Nolan's films, the thing that he does really, really well amongst many things is he makes immersive movies. Like you feel like you're in there, whether it's the sound, the explosions, the the acting, the set design, all that kind of stuff. And and this mm-hmm. is no, no different. The prestige, we feel like we're there. We feel like we're an audience member or we're learning about magic in 1900s or in 18, I'm sorry, 19th century London. And, I think the the reasoning, and this is why I think it's so brilliant and in, intentional, is is the misdirect, like you were saying. The nonlinear timeline that jumps all over the place is to be the however old you were, Justin, when you saw this film, watching it and being like, wait, 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 hang on. So, so I got to watch this. But then I'm watching the left hand when really the right hand is the one I should be watching sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was very, very brilliant. And even this watch, I was like, hang on a second. What? Wait, hold on. So it starts this and I was trying to piece it all together. But the payoffs are so great because like when he's in prison reading the diary and same thing when Angiers is reading the diary and it's kind of the, you know, hey, I pulled the fast one on you. You don't know when that happens. And actually, the movie starts with the ending scene. Mm-hmm. where Cutter is explaining the pledge, the turn, and then the prestige to the little girl, to Jess. That's actually the ending of the film. Right. And his voiceover in that would lead you to believe that he's testifying at the trial, and you would think that that's the start of the film. So it's so cool where it's like this big loop that Nolan's doing, and obviously Nolan likes to play around with time, so I think that was really cool. But I'm glad that you you noticed that as well, that it was it was like a magic trick, basically. Right, and and... Aside from Borden's teleportation trick, we know how every trick in this uh, movie is done. Mm-hmm. Like they, they always show you the answer. They tell you that how this is how Borden does his trick, but we don't really see it from a backstage point of view. You know, all the other ones we are the reveal is there. Yeah, we know how every single one is done, and so that what I always thought was interesting is that we never see. Um, Fallon without his makeup. Right. Right. They always did. You know, they each one took turns being Fallon, which I thought was interesting. It was mm-hmm. never one got to live the life. They both got to live half of a life, which I thought was really cool, which was enough and, for them is what he said. You know? Right. And so that, that was the biggest real like fuck you to us was that <laughs> we didn't get to see how this trick was done until the end. Yeah. He told us cutter said like he uses a double. <laughs> we <were> like, <laughs> Like yeah, I get it. That sounds like that's the right thing that he's doing, but how how could he? We have we've seen Hugh Jackman's double. We haven't seen in quotes, um, you know, Borden's double. Yeah, I. So I think that I can't remember what I was going to say because it was right at the start of what you were talking about that made a lot of sense. Oh, one thing I I wanted to ask from that with the double with the Borden and the Fallon thing, so. Whose daughter do you think Jess actually was? Like, I know that they were both essentially the fathers, but do you think it was actually, let's just call him Fallon, the, the, the good Christian Bale? Do you think it was his daughter who actually loves Sarah? So I, I was in the impression it was Freddie's daughter because he never really loved Sarah, but he really liked his daughter, um, the daughter. And, you know, when he was like talking about when he was in jail, he was having a freak out about yeah. you know, the daughter being taken and everything, which I think anybody would. But um, it, it goes along with the narrative that Freddie fucked up so many things for um, uh, what's the other brother's name? Uh, 
Al, or sorry, um, well, Alfred and and, and Alfred and Freddy, right? Those Freddy, are the two, yeah. technically, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I feel like he fucked up so many things for Alfred, and he's like, "I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I've all, but I need you to take care of, you know, the girl." And so I was under the impression it was Freddy's daughter. I could see that, which is crazy. I mean, I think Rebecca Hall is absolutely beautiful, and I I think she was great in this film. So that was a really sad scene too when he told him goodbye. And knowing <laughs> that you knew it was his brother because he's even crying at that, I'm like, Jesus. It's a heavy, heavy, heavy movie. Heavy movie, sir. Heavy movie. Yeah, heavy fucks. I'm a goddamn American icon. Yeah, cool. I'm glad that I'm glad that you uh you were picking up what Nolan was putting down on that. For once. I know, right? Okay. So is 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 there a um in your opinion is there a clear villain and a good guy quote unquote in this movie? And then who is who? Yeah, so I would say that um at the end of the day Angiers is the bad guy. And I do think that of the two brothers that the one that survives is probably the good one. I mean, they're both good. I, I do think that Borden is 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 good at heart and everything. And it was a mistake with the knot that he tied, uh, you know, and who knows who, which conversation they were having that with. You know, you're not supposed to do this knot. And then he's like, well, what knot did you tie? He's like, I don't remember because I'm not the one that tied it kind of thing. So <laughs> it, that does kind of suck. Yeah. But I, I do think that um, that Wolverine's the bad guy in this movie. Yeah. You know, he's he is willing to kill so many people to to get back at 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 um borden, borden. for for what for being better yeah a dick dude yeah I mean, come on <laughs> that'd be like me trying to kill you because you're better at laughing than i am I right <laughs> so i mean i don't know i think that's kind of lame and so yeah yeah obviously he was obsessed and he was out of his out of his mind but at a certain point dude uh it's he had even said i don't care about my wife you know, was, I care about uh, this trick. That was bad. <laughs> and that's 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 it, right? That's the turning point. There's no going back at this point. He there was a, a woman in front of him that was that was ready to be with him. You know, Scarlett Johansson's character, uh, which uh, what's her name in the Olivia. Show? Olivia. She was she was really falling for Angers. And uh and it it didn't it didn't work out. He's like, No, I need you to go spy for me, see? And um <laughs> And Angier's like, just just kind of dickish. And she's like, I'm right here, man. We got the best show. Who gives a fuck what Borden's up to? And that wasn't good enough, right? Yeah. So if I had to pick a bad guy, it would be Angier. I agree with you. I think that I think that one's pretty obvious. He actually kills people. Like, it goes back to our clone question. He's, he's killing these people all in the sake of a trick, all in the sake of to be like, I'm better. And he puts, he ends up killing Borden, basically. He frames him for murder. It's... Pretty insane stuff. So yeah, I I agree. Borden is is the quote unquote good guy, even though he's maybe not the nicest guy. He's a he's a good guy. But what I don't get, if if I was on the jury for this case, I'd be like, well, why does he have an axe, and why is he trying to break the last to get him out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, obviously he was a rival magician that was trying to figure out what his trick was. But when he saw what was happening, he would, you know, try and break him out. Who cares who put the lock yeah. on there? You're not. I'm not here to tell you who put the lock on here. I'm just here to tell you this man didn't do it. I didn't say you poisoned the coffee. I'm just saying you didn't make the stoop. 
always comes back to the hateful eight. Maybe uh, back in London in the 19th century trial, our juries were just like, eh, I don't like your face. You're guilty sort of thing. So <laughs> yeah, that's a shock. You got to yeah. cha- change your face. I don't know what it is about it, but just change it. So. Yeah. So I don't know. That's that's my uh, that's my take on it. I dig it. Take on me. Aha. Depeche mode. So, uh, where does this movie rank for you in your Nolan list, and why is Interstellar always your far and away number one? (laughs) Uh, Nolan wins. Oh, yeah. Interstellar wins the award for most viewed. (laughs) That's about it. Right behind Tenet. (laughs) Yeah. No, well, Tenet, I've only watched one time, and I can live the rest of my life knowing that I've only seen it once, and I'm okay with that. Uh, but I mean, I like a lot of his movies, man. Just pulling up his IMDb page, there's some really good motion picture shows on this list, and um, I do think that this one ranks ranks relatively high. Um, you know, Black or I almost said Black. Uh, the Dark Knight is really, 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 really good. But uh, you know, I'm not really a fan of Dark Knight Rises all that much, and that's another one that I watch a lot because I'm like, gotta be something here. <laughs> I don't know why I torture myself like that. But you know, I really dig Insomnia. I like Memento. I've never seen um, Following. I've neither have I. It. Yeah, neither have I. Um, but I really like Insomnia. Uh, Memento's cool. Uh, you know, that was a college movie that I saw. Crying out loud. And um, but I think Prestige ranks pretty high. I am curious to watch Oppenheimer. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. And I know oh my God. so little about that. I watched this documentary one time on like um, the the atomic bomb. But uh, at least when I was growing up, there wasn't a lot of information on it. And as I got older, I just kind of cared less and less. And I mm-hmm. worried about Googling atomic bomb <laughs> and showing up on some sort of list. So I don't <laughs> Everyone I don't dies. Know. <laughs> Especially <I'm>, Cillian Murphy. <laughs> I'm just scared to type certain things into my computer. And one of those words is one of them. And so I'm just nervous. <laughs> I don't want to be on the list. As dumb as that sounds, I just don't want to be on the list. Oh, man. Um, yeah. I agree. So what, I, I would, what a cast. Right. Oppenheimer? Yeah, I know. It's got an incredible cast. It's do, like, you, who's who? do you say Cillian or Killian? It's Killian. Well... Uh, I say Killian now yeah. only because I saw an interview where he was introduced as Killian. Okay. So yeah, Killian Murphy, Florence Pugh, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Josh Hartnett, Robert Denny Jr., Dane DeHaan, Rami Malek, your boy, and Benny Safdie. Wow, what a cast, man. That is, uh, that's quite a bit. But Killian is another one that, that Nolan likes to use quite a bit. He's been in a bunch oh, yeah. of his films. And so, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think that that is going to be... Who knows? That might take number one or it might be dead last. It might be I, I know. Yeah, a tenant for you, right? You might be like, wait, 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 can we pause it again so I can catch up to speed what's going on here? So. Yeah, yeah. So um, Craig Ferguson introduced him as uh, oh, okay. Killian Murphy. So I'm like, well, I feel like I have to call him Killian. <laughs> <laughs> they retrieved the artifact. So yeah. Craig Ferguson. They relieved her of her, her artifact. artifact. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, this has got a rank probably in the top five, I would say. And it it ekes out Interstellar, but it's uh, it's it's does it you put it over you put it over Interstellar, huh? So I go Dunkirk. I'm sorry. I go Dark Knight. um, Then I go Dunkirk. Then I go um, Inception, uh, Prestige and then Interstellar and then Batman Begins. 
And then I actually uh, like I like Memento, but it wasn't as eh. Wait, what is it? Can you read that again? What's your top five? Okay, so I go Dark Knight. Uh-huh. I go uh Dunkirk. I go um Inception. Wait, how many is that? Three? The um, three. Yeah. The prestige wait. Yeah, the prestige and interstellar? The prestige and then interstellar. So I guess it is in my top five still. Yeah. And then Batman begins. And then um I do the other ones. And like I didn't really like Insomnia that much, honestly. Um, Memento, it was okay. I still wasn't super in love with it. I actually think I like Tenet more than I like Memento. <laughs> so, when, when did you see Memento? I saw Memento a long time ago. I saw like it when on, it came out. Uh, when when did it come out? 2000, 2000? Oh, years ago? N- no, I saw it uh, on Netflix DVD a long time ago. After oh, okay. well, so still less than like ten years. Old, I think yeah, of. I think I was eighteen when I saw it. So around two thousand five. Okay, yeah, it's still pretty early. Okay. I liked it. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great performances all around. I just wasn't as obsessed with it. it I think what you said, you saw it in college. That, that's because that was what his second film. So that was very much a college film. I, I, I see that like a film school film like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And I liked I liked everyone that was in it. Yeah. I was like, whoa, this movie's cool. Don't trust Teddy. Pierce. <laughs> Teddy's a liar. He's a fucking yeah. liar. Christ, I'm a John G. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Carrie, Carrie Ann Moss spitting in people's coffee all the damn time. It's yeah. disgusting. I don't like that. I'm not a fan of spitting and eating on camera. <laughs> That's gross. Yeah. So it's a, it's, a, it's a good movie. Yeah, I agree. I but, love the Nolan there. Dunkirk is fantastic. Yeah. I, so I'm at this weird thing right now where so inception i really dug like i thought that was really cool and then dark knight rises i was just like oh man come on this this could have been really cool <laughs> and then so it's kind of on like a like that kind of killed my high a little bit it was a buzz kill and then interstellar i just laughed so much when i was watching <laughs> it with dave i'm like this movie's ridiculous and then Dunkirk, I also saw with Dave, and we just kept looking at each other. Anytime we had no idea what Tom Hardy was saying, we just looked at each other like, what the fuck? And then Tenet, I watched uh, on my sofa. I did not see that in the theater. And so that might have had an impact on my yes on my movie watching experience. I, I will accept that. But if I saw it in the theater, not able to communicate with somebody <laughs> that was next to me, I would have been even more mad. <laughs> I absolutely agree because I even watched it with subtitles and could pause it, and I was like, "Hang on a second, <laughs> this is confusing." Right? So. <laughs> oh my goodness, I don't get it. And so, like, when does Batman pop in? So. <laughs> I'm I'm really hoping Oppenheimer's good. No, but now I did watch Dunkirk like two weeks ago or last weekend, I think it was, and and I did I did enjoy it. It's really good. Uh, I just remember because I'd only ever seen it in the theater. I hadn't watched it again, and so. It was a fun experience in its own way, but as we talked about last week, I'm it's really hard for me to get into war movies, mm-hmm. and uh, they just they stress me out and they're sad. And um, this one just kind of had its hooks in me because it's so uh, you know time plays a major factor in this movie, right? They have they have hours, if not minutes, to get off this beach, and that's a lot of people. And, you know, that whole opening with the flyers falling down, like, you know, we have you surrounded. You guys Gosh, are pretty much yeah. fucked. That's pretty intense. And the, the music's the, the constant buildup with the music is like this crescendo that's just, it's like a two-hour crescendo, and it's a <laughs> lot to handle. It's like going to the opera. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. And so, 
you know, I talked about the other day. I was when you said that you you either watched it or you liked it, and I was like, yeah, there's not a lot of talking in that movie, and Mm-mm. there isn't any room for talking because so many things are just kind of happening, and it's more of a visual movie than a than a dialogue driven movie. Well, and so, I love how he plays with that nonlinear timeline too in Dunkirk because it goes from you know an hour to a day to a week before sort of thing because they have to sail from England over there, and uh, so obviously these windows are different for each person. So it's it's really interesting and it draws the stakes. But Nolan loves loves to play with time, man. He loves to mess around with that timeline. I know, it's pretty good stuff. I know, Batman even has time jumps <laughs> Batman begins yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like ah I know <laughs> finished with the checking of the bags conversation <laughs> there you go what is that from I know what that's from meet the parents yeah that's right <laughs> there you go oh and you know what uh, we're back to the whole plot twist thing and you know ones that I like you'd asked if there was like a book or something yeah uh, yeah book tv show whatever there was a short story called an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge are you familiar with that I feel like I've heard of it, but no. So it's set during the American Civil War, and this soldier is about to have his neck, he's about to be hung from a bridge. And when he goes over, uh, the rope snaps, and he he survives, and he runs home. Basically, he's just trying to get home, and it's his journey to get to home. He sees his wife, and as he's running to her, they're just about to touch, and then wham, the his neck snaps. He never really escaped it was him sort of planning this whole escape in his mind and seeing his wife one last time before he died kind of thing. And it all happens in a split second. But just as he's reaching for her, wham, his neck snaps and he dies and he's hanging from the bridge. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> that's quite the plot twist. I've and been so, duped. <laughs> yeah, I was had. Yeah. And um, that was first published in 1890. And uh, it's done by Ambrose beers and uh i remember reading in high school and i remember thinking man that's so fucking cool <laughs> and that's how you tell a story and if i ever make movies i want to do something cool like that i remember thinking that and then nolan beat you to the punch <laughs> yeah several times over and over and over again this guy's stealing my movies <laughs> <laughs> this motherfucker i wanted to do a movie about love being the fifth dimension or the fourth where's, dimension or whatever <laughs> where's my motherfucking movie check? oh man there you go take some yeah. of the internet money <laughs> <laughs> but i thought that was really cool and so yeah uh it's just one of those things where you guys caught off guard I remember you actually talking about that now when we talked about Gone Girl, because uh, when I read the Gone Girl book, that was one that I was like, whoa, because halfway through, I mean, there were other books that had plot twists for me, but that one of of recent memory as of like eight years ago, I remember reading it and going, whoa. And so now I remember you talking about that book um, because that is very much like a Twilight Zone episode. It is a short story. It's that's so crazy too. Yeah. Oh, shit. He's actually dead. (laughs) Okay, yeah. then. <laughs> Sucks to be you, guy. Wow. Don't go and get your neck hung anymore. Yeah. When the hangman gets you, you hang. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gosh. Oh, just do a Hateful Eight Part 2 podcast oh, at no, some point. Oh, no, it's so good. <laughs> it is really good. I love that movie. <laughs> it's I offensive. Like it yeah, Very offensive. Daisy Damagoo. Who the fuck is, is Daisy Damagoo? Damagoo? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. my goodness. There you go. Well, that is all I have to say about the prestige. Do you have anything else? What are your final thoughts and letter grade? No. Uh, well, I mean, I'm glad that we watched this. I do think that there's a lot to take away from this movie. 
it, it does have a lot of star power so that that we've talked about that before where sometimes if it's just a bunch of a-listers on your tv you might uh, might lose something i don't think that's the case with this movie i think that um yes Scarlett Johansson and Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman and, and Michael Caine all do amazing jobs in this movie. I think it's a it's a lot of a lot of fun to be had in such a depressing movie. And uh, I, I do feel really bad for uh, Borden's wife, Sarah. Sarah. She gets she gets the short end of the stick. And it's unfortunate that Borden felt that he needed to be so they felt that they needed to be so committed to this you know, routine that they couldn't enjoy their lives the way they perhaps should have. And it cost yeah. someone theirs. And that's unfortunate. That was his obsession, basically. It was his yeah. obsession to his craft. Yeah, and that's why he was able to spot it with that um the other magician who had the fishbowl under his legs. He's yeah. Like, he called it. He's like, that's the act right there. He's pretending to be something he's not. Uh which of course is probably the nod to the magician that you were talking about at mm-hmm. uh the beginning of this podcast yeah and Chung uh, Ling Su yes and who might even be like uh in South Park <laughs> the, oh my god I know walk. <laughs> oh gosh uh yeah so I, I do think that that's unfortunate there, and but there's a lot to take away from it I, I do think that there's um this is a, a very solid movie and I'm glad that I watched it and um I think it may have even changed my ranking order just a little bit with cool. uh, in regards to to Nolan films. This is a fun one. I like the music. I like the, the nonlinear story. I like the, the Tesla. I think that's cool. David Bowie's in it. He's great. And, and um, Andy circus is great in it too. Andy circus is great. You know, you don't, I hadn't seen that man outside of Gollum, <laughs> I think at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Whoa, look at that. That's a Gollum without the Gollum. <laughs> and, he's talking uh, like an American. <laughs> It's crazy. Um, Forget about like, it. I was like, light bulb, Thomas Edison. Holy shit, that's fucking Andy Circus. We didn't even talk about Tesla and Edison being how bringing Tesla into this film, they had their own rivalry too. And that was basically a microcosm for what Angier and Borden were doing too, right? Like mm-hmm. the obsession by one another led Edison to burn down Tesla's laboratory. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah, I think Thomas Edison is a bit of a sneaky sneak. He's, That's what I've heard too, yeah. We're on I the street. <laughs> yeah, and I think Tesla did the uh, alternating current. I think that's his, yes. his deal. I believe that is accurate. Uh, which is pretty crazy. That's a whole other level of brilliance that I will never understand. Like, electricity is something that I just can't comprehend. I, I get that there's a light switch <laughs> and I flip it and they, all of a sudden the light is on. But I am too terrified to play with it. Like when he comes walking through and all that fucking Thor is just raining lightning down on his <laughs> yeah. face. There's no goddamn way I could ever do anything like that. Even if I knew it would never hurt me. I'm like, eh, I'm good. I'll just watch I'm over here. <laughs> Thanks, bro. But like if you've ever gone to one of those cool museums, the science museums, and there's all those fun things with electricity and, uh, you know, our bodies themselves being what can produce so much electricity and a la the matrix and we're just batteries that's so crazy <laughs> that our brains are just like crazy circuits and wires uh no different from like a computer and i think yeah. that's so fucking crazy and they're able to just like harness this power that is just a level of brilliance that i just can't even tap into and i think that's so cool and i'm a, I'm a tad bit jealous 
Not gonna lie. No, I would say you're obsessed now at this point. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're gonna find Tesla's uh, gravestone uh, and desecrate it and like yeah. suck on this one time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think that's true. I'm too scared of electricity <laughs> to be obsessed with it. It's probably electrified. <laughs> yeah. Now he's got yeah. cars. He's got his great 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 grandson Elon Musk is, is <laughs> yeah. going to the moon. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Ugh. So what's your letter grade for this then? Uh, I would give this an A for abracadabra. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty good. <laughs> I give it an A for awesome, also, and I agree. So I think you know it was a little bit lower on my Nolan list, but I I moved it up to I guess fourth technically because I forgot how good it was and picking up on the clues and just kind of looking at it through a different lens this time. And yeah, I, I, I really enjoy the hell out of it. And it's it's different than his other films. It's not this giant action spectacular, right? It is a Thing, it's a film about two rivals who are just dueling it out over magic shit, and it's pretty yeah. awesome. Jets and the sharks. Yeah, and, exactly. And you learn something maybe new that it was. It's been a clone this whole time, and they're constantly dying. The original Angiers might be long gone. Yeah, exactly. I think it's more of a thought-provoking film that you could have a good conversation of, including us for an hour and a half. So yeah. Well, that is all I have, sir. Are you ready to go? Yeah, let's get. All right. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. So make like a tree and get get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Please remember to follow us on Twitter. Justin, what is your uh, Twitter handle? At EdgyArmo. Ooh, I follow that. Uh, You can follow us at DBCrazyPod. And then my Twitter handle is ZachDale60. On there, you can share your thoughts with us. You can discuss what movie, or you can tell us what movie you think we should watch for the next episode. And uh, have a lot of fun. We interact. It's great. Make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And please leave us a five-star review. It helps us immensely. Thank you so much. Additionally, we are also available on every other major podcast app. Google, Amazon, Pandora, all those ones. Please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin. Just please, don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. Abracadabra.